It is Thursday, October 8th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our Week 5 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Small. And Jared, I tell you, man, three weeks now, 10th, 11th, and now 1st in Fantasy Pro's weekly accuracy. Is it ever going to come back down? I'm telling you, I'm just riding that baby swag. I don't know. I don't want to you know, make any decisions for you and your wife, or maybe you guys want to uh, you know, get on, get on another one to get some of that baby swag working for you. I actually thought about making just that joke the other night after seeing that, and I couldn't even bring myself to make a joke. I'm all stuck. <laughs> uh, not, not worth it, huh? No, I'll, I'll finish 140th if it means not changing any more diapers. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fun time over there, and I'm glad that you could share it with us in the form of accurate weekly rankings. I was thinking about this show. I might just intro a game and then ask you who you're playing. <laughs> that works. It'll be, be faster if nothing else. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I think we both know, though, that I couldn't go that long without saying things. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We will move on to these games. I will have some things to say. I'll try to get out of Jared's way when I can. But let's start with the Thursday night game, Tampa Bay at Chicago. The Bucks are three-and-a-half-point favorites. It's a 44-and-a-half over-under. Chris Godwin, Justin Watson ruled out. Mike Evans, Scotty Miller questionable. The report is that Scotty Miller is expected to play. Mike Evans is apparently going to be a game-time decision. He has to work out ahead of the game. They expect him to play, but it's there. It's not at this point them saying, yeah, he's going to play. Yeah, and Evans played through that ankle injury last week. He, he heard it in the first half, missed a bit of time, came back and, and produced, obviously, had a big game. Now, I mean, you know, th- those things can like swell up the next day and all that stuff. It's a short week, so you're going to have to check inactive to make sure Evans is in there around 7 p.m. tonight. Um if he's active, I think you have to start Mike Evans. Um, I think Scotty Miller is kind of in the wide receiver three mix, regardless of Evans' status. Probably gets a slight boost if Evans is out just based on targets. Um, I think Tom Brady's the tough call here. Um, he's been hot now. Um, quarterback eight and quarterback two finishes the past two weeks. But as you mentioned, no Chris Godwin, no Justin Watson. Um, O.J. Howard's on IR with his Achilles injury. And this is a tough matchup for Brady, too. The Bears' third in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. The Bears have given up now just 20 passing touchdowns in their last 20 games dating back to last season. Um, that includes holding Matt Stafford and Matt Ryan to just one TD apiece this season. So it, it'd be tough to bench Brady considering how good he's been the past couple of weeks, but I don't think he's a must start in this spot. I agree. I don't envy anybody that decision, but Tom Brady is comfortably outside our top 12, and I don't I don't feel bad about having him there as I look at the rankings in spite of you know eight touchdown passes over the past two weeks. Yeah, exactly. We also have no LaShawn McCoy, probably no Leonard Fournette. He's doubtful. So Ronald Jones is at least a fairly easy start here. Keyshawn Vaughn is on the fringe if you're desperate, but I would not overrate the touchdown catch that he had last week. LaShawn McCoy, as their receiving back, was not playing a whole lot before he went down. Yeah, Ronald Jones basically got workhorse usage. Um, Saw 20 of Tampa's 24 running back carries, 9 of Tampa's 14 running back targets. I'll be interested to see if – Rojo gets that much work in the passing game, man, because he had, I think it was two official drops. It looked like he had, you know, a third that might have been dropped. So he, he was not good in the passing game. So we'll see about that. That said, I mean, I think he's going to get the rushing volume. Um, this matchup's okay. Chicago's just like a middling running back defense. So I think Rojo should be in fantasy lineups as like a strong RB2. Yeah, I agree. And as you mentioned, the Bears are a good defense at this point. So it's not a real positive matchup for the Bucks offense. Mm-hmm. On the Chicago side, 
multiple people have asked me this week about starting Nick Foles in week five. And it not unless I'm in a two quarterback or super flex league, I've been surprised to see him listed with some of the people that he's been listed with. I guess it's because Justin Herbert went for 290 and three against the Bucks last week, but the Bucks, even with that, the Bucks have allowed the fourth fewest QB fantasy points for the season. Yeah. That speaks more to Justin Herbert, I think, and how good he's been than this Bucks defense. Um, Football Outsider still has them fourth in pass defense. They're 12th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. So, you know, not a good matchup for Foles. And Foles was not good last week. Like, any, the numbers he did get all came in garbage time. He had, like, a big final drive through the touchdown to Allen Robinson. But he he was not good in that game. I don't expect him to be good tonight. Yeah, and his numbers weren't even particularly good in the end. So. Yeah. Elsewhere on the Chicago side, Darnell Mooney is questionable for the game despite practicing all week in full with his shoulder issue. I haven't seen any details on the situation, so I don't really know what's up with it. He's second behind Allen Robinson among Bears receivers in snaps, four routes behind Anthony Miller for the season, but all of Anthony Miller's edge came in week one, 22 to 12 in Miller's favor in that game. Since then, Mooney has actually edged Miller in every game. It's been close, but Mooney's the starter opposite Allen Robinson, you know, the outside guy when they go to three wide. Uh, Miller does get the most favorable individual matchup when they go three wide against Sean Murphy bunting this week. But I would I would really like to not use either player, Miller or Mooney, for this game. Yeah, I think they're really just like DFS showdown options at this point. You should be able to do better in season long. And you know, all the numbers, like you said, points to Darren Mooney. He's also out-targeted Anthony Miller 17 to 13 over the last three weeks, including a nine to five target edge last week, you know, with Nick Foles under center. So we'll see if that continues going forward. But if you're picking between the two, you know, hopefully again, it's just for DFS. I would lean towards Mooney. Yeah. So stash Mooney, if you can try to use neither, if you can help it. Cordell, Cordero Patterson, just three carries last week, two targets in the first game without Tariq Cohen, fewer carries than in any of his previous three games this season. And it wasn't like the Colts had a lopsided victory. It was 1911 final in that game. So I would expect a little bit more for Patterson, but it does not look like he's going to become fantasy relevant in outside of leagues that count, uh, return yardage yeah i'd say go out and try to buy david montgomery either right now or maybe after tonight's games i don't think montgomery will have a big game tonight because it's such a, a tough matchup you know the bucks second in football outside his run d uh they're fourth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs but montgomery got workhorse usage in in that first game last week without tree cohen he played a career high 85 percent of chicago's offensive snaps uh he got 10 of the 13 running back carries he ran a season high 37 pass routes got a 14 percent target share so if that type of usage continues, um, you know he's going to at least be like a strong weekly running back too, just based on volume. I agree with that. Um, it's a bad matchup for Jimmy Graham. Levante David remains a stud. Uh, the Bucks have allowed 15 tight end catches through four games, and they faced a decent slate of tight ends. Jared Cook, Noah Fant, Hunter Henry, so those are all solid challenges. The only guy among those that actually had a good game against them was Jared Cook, five catches for 80 yards. So, I mean, Jimmy Graham, if you need him, the volume could be there but it's not a matchup that points to upside for him. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing in his favor is a 17% target share from Nick Foles over the last week and a half. Now, if that continues, that's going to help Graham be someone we can use from from time to time. But again, I, I just don't like the Bears offense in general this week, so tough to get excited about really anyone outside of Allen Robinson and David Montgomery. Yeah, I think this is going to be a slogging kind of game tonight that doesn't really give us any huge fantasy stuff. Me too. All right, let's move on to Sunday then. Cincinnati at Baltimore. The Ravens are 13-point favorites with a 51-point over-under. The Ravens are allowing the 10th most QB points per game through four weeks. But 
45% of that came from Patrick Mahomes. So Dwayne Haskins did throw for 314, ran for a touchdown last week, which apparently got him benched. Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield had worse days the first two weeks before that. I would rather not bet on Joe Burrow this week in his first shot at Baltimore, especially with the Bengals allowing an average of 3.75 sacks per game. Yeah, and, and the Ravens have given up two uh, quarterback rushing scores, which I think is inflated. You know, they're fantasy points allowed to the position football outsiders has them 14th in past defense. So, you know, middling, they might be better than that. You know, by the end of the season, we'll see. I don't think Burrow's like a, like a must bench if you're in a deeper league and there's no like strong waiver wire options. Cause he, he's played well. He's had volume on his side. You know, we talked about the Bengals being one of the past heavier offenses. Burrow is second in the NFL in past attempts. I think he'll have volume on his side again here. Um, so he, he's okay, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't expect any type of ceiling game from him in Baltimore. Right. I would easily play him over Nick Foles, but I would probably roll with Tom Brady ahead of Joe Burrow. Um, yeah, I guess I'd lean Brady and I'd, you know, we'll talk about guys like Justin Herbert, uh, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins. I think those type of spot starters I would use over Burrow. Ooh, we'll get to Daniel Jones in a little while. I'm excited for that one. T Higgins, clearly a top three wideout for the Bengals now. Six plus targets in three straight games. Followed his five for 40 and two touchdowns against the Eagles with four catches for 77 against Jacksonville. AJ Green is still not on track. I would rather play neither of those guys this week if I can help it. Yeah, I, I agree. Avoid if possible this week. Longer term, I'm about ready to, to bet on T Higgins outscoring AJ Green the rest of the season. Um, their usage has been about identical. They've run the same number of pass routes over the last three weeks. Green has two more targets, but Higgins has more catches, more yards, more touchdowns. He just looks better at this point in their career. So Higgins definitely, you know, worth owning in basically all fantasy leagues at this point now. Um, Tyler Boyd, though, clearly the best bet among these Bengals wide receivers. Um, he's top nine among all wideouts in targets, catches, yards, and PPR points over the last three weeks now. Um, you know, Baltimore, again, kind of a middling matchup, but I think volume makes Boyd a fantasy starter this week. Yeah, basically a weekly PPR starter. He His first meeting with Baltimore last year, just three catches for 10 yards, but he rebounded for six catches, 62 yards in the second. He's been over 60 yards with four-plus catches in four of his past five meetings with the Ravens, so they don't scare him particularly. I think he's fine. Drew Sample rebounded for five targets last week, just one against the Eagles the week before. The problem in that game seemed to be that he had to block more. He had about three times more pass blocking reps in that game against the Eagles where the Bengals gave up eight sacks than he has in any other game so far. I think there's the same risk for Drew Sample this week. So the matchup isn't particularly scary from a tight end coverage standpoint, but I think he's going to have to spend some time blocking against this pass rush that really could terrorize Joe Burrow. Yeah, so it was a 63% route rate for Sample two weeks ago. It climbed a bit to 68% last week. That's still not like a number you get excited about. I mean, we're talking about Drew Sample here. He needs to be out there like, you know, 80 plus percent of the routes before I think we can consider using him. So I, I think he's, you know, he, he'd be a, a desperation play this week. On the Ravens side, should I worry about Lamar Jackson is something that people keep asking. He might not have dominated Washington to the degree that you hoped he would last week, but I mean, it was a Lamar Jackson game, 193 yards on just 21 pass attempts, 9.2 yards per attempt. He averaged only 208 passing yards per game last year. He's had 45-plus rushing yards every game so far this year. His passing touchdown rate's at 7.1%. Rushing TD rate's actually down a little bit from where it was last year, so there's room for that to improve. I think that Lamar Jackson could still be a possible sell, but only to the point where he's building you up at other positions because there really aren't that many quarterbacks that are going to get the kind of return that Lamar Jackson would on the trade market. 
Yeah, I mean, if you can still get like third round redraft value for Lamar Jackson, I, I would have traded him in week in week one for that price. But um, yeah, like you said, his passing efficiency is basically in line with last year. His TD rate is down a bit, which we had to expect. It's really the rushing yards um, down from 80 per game last year to just 59 per game this season. You know, still still an awesome number, but it's 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 significant. You know, two points a game just based on rushing yards. Now he's on the injury report with the knee. Um, you know, it sounds minor, but I don't know. Maybe it limits his rushing a bit. That said, you're you're still starting. Mar Jackson in season long. He had two big games against the Bengals last year. It includes uh, 217 total rushing yards and, and two rushing touchdowns. He finished quarterback two and quarterback one on the week in those two games. So, um, you know, maybe someone to not pay up for in DFS, but still I think locked in as a season long starter. Yeah. And he's down about two rushing attempts per game. So maybe it's just him and the team trying not to get him hit quite so much. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that stays down going forward, but not a huge impact. Again, if there is this, this opportunity to sell Lamar Jackson and build up other spots, like if you started one and three, maybe shop Lamar Jackson around this week for a lower level starting quarterback plus an upgrade at running back or wide receiver. But should you worry about Lamar Jackson? No, I wouldn't say so. Yeah, I mean, he's also just missed Marquise Brown on a few deep balls that like would completely change how we're thinking about Lamar Jackson right now. You know, his fantasy numbers would be way up if he hits just a couple of those. So I, I guess going with Brown there, um, I think you're obviously sticking with him as a fantasy starter. He's been semi-disappointing so far, but the usage has been, has been pretty good. He has a 26% target share. Um, he's seventh among all wide receivers in air yards, so he's still getting those deep shots. And the matchup here is nothing to be worried about. So I still think Brown is you know going to have one of those monster weeks pretty soon, and it, it could definitely come against this Bengals secondary. Yeah, 25.7% target share for him so far this year. So you, it, it's frustrating to not have any touchdowns from Marquise Brown, but you kind of have to you have to be happy with his usage at least, and then we'll see yeah. if touchdowns come, yep. which they probably will. The backfield, Gus Edwards led in week four carries. He and J.K. Dobbins are way ahead of Mark Ingram and PFF elusive rating right now. Edwards leads the group in rushing grade. Dobbins leads comfortably in pass routes. Season carries sit at Ingram 34, Edwards 27, Dobbins 15. Targets, of course. Dobbins flips it. He's got seven to lead the group. Five for Mark Ingram, zero for Gus Edwards. We really can't use any of them in fantasy right now until somebody gets hurt and unless we really need one of them and then it's just a grab bag still yeah it's unfortunate it's like we know how good this you know how, how productive this backfield could be for us but when there's three guys involved we just can't trust any of them I think Dobbins is like completely off the table just not getting enough volume I'd still lean towards Ingram as like a running back through or flex but he's at least like the first guy in the game usually um, but yeah his you know his volumes way down his his uh, share of the team carries is down to 28 percent after 37 percent last year so um, you know, he's, he's tough to trust. You basically need a touchdown for, for Ingram for him to pay off for you. Yeah. And I mean, Gus Edwards might be running the best of the three of them right now. So maybe he even keeps getting more work. So yeah. I hope that you don't have to decide between them because there's really no good way to, to pick one of them at this point. Anything else from the Ravens there? No, nope, I'll do it. Philadelphia at Pittsburgh Steelers by seven and a half and over under 44 on this game. Absolutely nothing besides Miles Sanders on the Eagles side for me. Zach Ertz and his QB both stink so far. 7.3 yards per catch for Ertz. And the Steelers are allowing just a 50% catch rate to the position to this point. 46% of the yardage that they have allowed to tight ends came from Noah Fant. He had catches of 20 and 22 in that game. I don't think Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz are capable of 20-plus yard connections right now. 
Yeah, so Ertz, I mean, Ertz is still fourth among all tight ends with 29 targets. That's like the argument in his favor at a position where, you know, it's, it's tough to find volume. I think Ertz is still a good bet for like six plus targets. So to me, he's still a tight end one, but he's like a lower end tight end one, but not a lot of upside in this matchup. Um, I wouldn't want anything to do with Carson Wentz. I mean, he's he's been decent in fantasy the past two weeks because of his rushing. Um, 65 yards in a score and 37 yards in a score in his last two games. I don't know how much you can count on that from Carson Wentz. Like he's mobile, but he's not like a running quarterback that you can lean on that. So, you know, and especially in this matchup against Pittsburgh, I think, you know, one of the better defenses in the NFL, I would not want to use Carson Wentz. We'll see if Deshaun Jackson is back this week. He's a guy I definitely want to see make it through a full game healthy before trusting him in fantasy lineups though. So you're not believing in Kyler Wentz? Not, not yet. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely Carson Wentz is way out of fantasy consideration for me at the moment, especially against any good defense. I'm playing Eric Ebron over Carson Wentz this week. And there might be another guy that we currently have ranked lower that I would play. Yeah, it's not crazy. I mean, we can, we can talk about Ebron here. He's in a good spot. I, I, I just, I think Ertz is still a better volume bet though. I mean, probably, but I I would bet on Ertz catching no more than four of seven or eight targets if that's what he gets in this game, and the yardage has been awful. Ebron has seen 75% plus playing time in each of his past two games, had a red zone touchdown the last time out. And I, his, his passing game is just much higher ceiling at this point, and his matchup is way better. So I'm going to take a shot on him having scoring chances over Ertz, you know, getting 12 targets and catching five of them. Yeah, I'll definitely give you Ebron more upside. Um, he seems to be trending up. His targets have gone two to five to seven. Um, you know, kind of what you'd expect with a guy joining a new team. Um, and like you said, the matchup, uh, Eagles 32nd in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. They're 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. They gave up the three touchdown game to Tyler Higbee. They gave up the you know monster 15 catch game to George Kittle this past week. So definitely a good spot for Ebron. And otherwise, Pittsburgh, I'm starting pretty much anybody comfortably that's in contention for my lineup. Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson opened the week missing practice this week, but each is with the same issue that had them opening week three missing practice. They each played through those issues back in week three. It's been two weeks since then, so I'm not worried about them. And Deontay Johnson has cleared the concussion protocol after he suffered that week three concussion. So, you know, we'll watch them, but I would not expect either of those wideouts to be in danger of missing this game. Yeah, expect them both to play. Um, I prefer Juju this week. He has the better matchup in the slot um, against Nikel, uh Roby Coleman. Deontay Johnson's going to see some, if not all, of Darius Slay, who has been you know the the bright spot for the Eagles, I guess so far this season. So tougher matchup for Deontay. I still think he's a fantasy starter, but I prefer Juju among the two this week. Do you know? Do you have in front of you how much time Juju's spending in the slot so far? Do not have it in front of me. I can pull it up in a couple seconds. Huh? <laughs> all right, feel free to do that. I'll go. I'll go ahead and move on to Carolina and Atlanta, but we'll check back to see how much Juju's spending in the slot. Carolina at Atlanta is next on the slate. Falcons by two points at home. Kind of surprised that they're favored over anybody right now. Over under 54 and a half, uh, up three and a half from where it opened. Teddy Bridgewater looking good at a good game last week against Arizona, and he could have had two more touchdowns in his stat line than he did in that game. He threw behind Robbie Anderson at the goal line. He overthrew Robbie Anderson with a deep ball when he was open for what could have been a long touchdown. He also overthrew, uh, I think, one of the tight ends in the end zone for what was nearly an interception, but the DB came down with his feet out of bounds. So um, could have added even to what was a good stat line. And Teddy Bridgewater reminded us last week that there is some rushing upside to him. Yeah, I think we talked about it on last week's podcast that Bridgewater had been playing well. You know, he was like top seven, I think, in both yards per attempt and completion. He just hadn't hadn't scored yet. You know, he was sitting on like a 1.9% touchdown rate heading into last week. So we finally started to see that. 
you know, come around. The touchdowns come around last week. And this is just an awesome spot. Um, Atlanta 31st in football outsiders pass defense DVOA. They're 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So there there are quite a few solid streaming options this week at quarterback. I think Bridgewater is my favorite among the group. Who are some of the other guys that you would put in that pool with Bridgewater? Uh, Herbert, Cousins, and Daniel Jones are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, I would put Teddy Bridgewater at the top of that group as well. Robbie Anderson, by the way, is the number one wide receiver in Carolina right now. I mean, not just by the stats, but by usage. He's getting shorter stuff versus what DJ Moore is getting. He's got a shorter average depth of target. Moore seeing deeper targets than he was last year. His ADOT is up a yard and a half from where it was last season. His yards before catch per reception are up and about 5.1 yards ahead of where he was last year, and also about five yards ahead of what Robbie Anderson's number is. So basically, Robbie Anderson right now is being used the way that last year's Panthers used DJ Moore, and it's being reflected in the production between the two. And this is one that I kick myself for not um, seeing Moore heading into the season. Not Robbie Anderson passing DJ Moore in production, but not taking a shot that Robbie Anderson was going to be a thing because we already liked him as a receiver with the Jets. And when the Panthers signed him, Matt Rule said he's not just a deep guy. He did, you know, date back to college with him. And again, it was he was a productive player on bad Jets team. So I I kick myself for not getting more Robbie Anderson than I did coming into this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for as many times as you can say, you know, this coach said this and it ended up being true – just as often it ends up, you know, not coming to fruition. That said, I think Anderson was cheap enough where, yeah, we probably should have been taking some shots on him, not going you know, all in on Curtis Samuel at similar range. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Anderson obviously should be in fantasy lineups every week now. And in this matchup, he's like a, a wide receiver too with upside. I think DJ Moore is still in the same territory. I think DJ Moore is still a buy. I mean, he's, he's 12th among all wide receivers and targets, just 31st in PPR points. Like that, the, that, that gap's going to close. We know he's a good wide receiver. Um, so I think Moore has bigger games coming, and you know this is definitely a good spot for it. I would like to see them shorten his average depth of target to increase his consistency, though, because I think he's going to stay a little bit more inconsistent than he was last year if they keep working him deeper down the field, and that could be an issue. Robbie Anderson also only has one touchdown so far, so he's not even uh, inflated on scoring. So I, I, I agree with you that they're both starters. I agree that DJ Moore is a buy. I definitely would not treat Robbie Anderson like a sell high who is about to crash, though. Yep, I agree. Uh, can we go back to Steelers wide receivers quick? Yes. Uh, 82% slot for Juju, just 13% for Deonta. Gotcha. Nice. Um, Curtis Samuel, who we mentioned in passing, not a starter. He, he, he just he needs to show me something for me to consider him for a fantasy lineup anywhere outside of a deep league. Yeah, just not happening for him. He actually played a season low snap rate last week. The Panthers went to more two tight end sets. Uh, Somewhat surprisingly, I don't know if that'll be a trend, but um, yeah, Samuel not not a guy you can trust in lineups right now. On the Falcons side, Matt Ryan's not as easy a starter as he should be. I mean, it's a it should be a, a fine matchup for him, but one total touchdown pass over the past two games. You know, granted, either or both of the Todd Gurley touchdown runs last week against Green Bay could have turned into a touchdown pass instead. But Matt Ryan in the passing game are not looking good right now. Yeah, well, I mean, the the problem is Julio Jones has been banged up. I'm not expecting him to play this weekend after aggravating that injury on Monday night. It does sound like he did a bit in practice on uh, Thursday here, but I wouldn't bank on him. And then Calvin Ridley, I mean, you know, he he played on Monday night, but you know, a, a goose egg um, after you know a big start to the season. So I'm not sure if his ankle injury is you know a bigger concern than maybe the team is letting on. So um, I, I think Ryan's okay to stick with you know at home in a good matchup, but I think he's you know more of a lower end quarterback one. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And Calvin Ridley, there's there had to be some it had to be somewhat of an issue at least because he only played about three quarters of his normal playing time. You know, that's still well over 50 percent, but it wasn't quite to his normal level, even with Julio Jones out. Did put in a limited practice Wednesday, so should be okay for this week. We'll certainly keep an eye on him. I hope that Julio Jones is not playing this game so we can get that hamstring healthier. Yeah, me too. And I think you go back to Ridley, like hopefully he gets in a full practice on Thursday or Friday, but I don't see how you can bench him, especially with assuming Julio is going to be out. Um, Russell Gage is a tough call. Like He was so good over the first two games, 15 catches on 21 targets. Had the concussion in week three, it was, right? And then he was cleared for week four, but ends up with just two catches on three targets. Now he still led Falcons wide receivers in pass routes that, uh, last week. So if he was still on the field, I would bet on him bouncing back. And again, if, if Julio's out, I think Gage becomes a wide receiver three option in PPR. Yeah, and I would probably play him over Olamide Zacchaeus, but I mean, Zacchaeus <laughs> might be a deep option as well. Four for 41 and an eight for 86 in the past two games. He should step into that other spot if Julio doesn't play. Again, I would lean Russell Gage first, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Zacchaeus uh, outproduces him. It's not like we're looking at a long track record of production from Russell Gage. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about Zacchaeus on tomorrow's DFS shows. I know he's minimum priced on DraftKings. And Uh-oh. like you said, you know, had, he, he's had the volume. He's had the usage too. I mean, he was uh, 74% of the routes last week, 84% of the routes in week three. So, you know, again, assuming Julio's out, Zacchaeus is like the Julio replacement. So, you know, his playing time is going to be there if Jones doesn't play. Mm-hmm. There's nice coverage matchups individually for everybody on the Atlanta side. Uh, fine matchup for Hayden Hurst. He's seen five plus targets in three of four games. Panthers fairly neutral in fantasy numbers allowed to tight ends so far. I would say Hayden Hurst is a fringe starter, but I'm easily playing him over Zach Ertz. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, Ertz, Hurst, Hurst. I mean, Hurst, Hurst is 10th among tight ends with 22 targets. I think that's sort of what he is. He's like a you know borderline top 10 tight end. Yep, I'll give him that. And that's not Zach Ertz this week. <laughs> Anything else from that game? Uh, Todd Gurley, I mean, I think... You're starting him here in this spot. I mean, you know, home favorites with a big implied total, a good matchup against Carolina. But yeah, you know, I'd be potentially looking to sell him now. You know, maybe using this matchup as you know a, a little cherry on top in the deal, or at least if he has another decent game this Sunday, I'd be looking to sell Todd Gurley because he's just a two-down back at this point. They're not using him in the passing game, and honestly, he doesn't look that great. He's just sort of been living off the touchdown so far. And the Panthers aren't a gimme in rush defense. They didn't allow a whole lot to Arizona last week if you take out the 49-yard scramble by Kyler Murray, which he should. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Todd Gurley doesn't do a whole lot in this game, especially because, as you said, it doesn't look particularly good to this point. Yep. Las Vegas at Kansas City. The Chiefs are 13-point favorites, a 56-and-a-half over-under, which is the second highest of the week. Henry Ruggs got back to a limited practice Wednesday. I'm certainly going to need to see him do something, though, before I'm considering starting him in fantasy. We haven't gotten a healthy game from him yet. Every time he has played, he has left early with an injury. Brian Edwards still not practicing Wednesday. Both of those rookies, of course, missed week four. Yeah, I mean, maybe if Ruggs gets in a full practice, you can consider him like in deeper leagues as a, as a flyer. I mean, you, you think Vegas's pass volume is going to be up in this game, um, you know, playing from behind the Chiefs. So that that helps. But, um, you know, Darren Waller, still the number one target in this passing game. And I would still bet on Hunter Renfro finishing second on the Raiders in targets this week. 
And this Chiefs defense is number one in football outsiders past defense DVOA in spite of dealing with multiple injuries plus a suspension for Bashad Breland uh, at cornerback to start the season. So, yep. yeah, I, w- I would bet against Henry Ruggs if you can at this point. Hunter Renfro, you mentioned he was solid against Buffalo. Five catches, 57 yards on eight targets. And he's the kind of receiver that the Chiefs can allow stuff to. You know, if you hit him over the middle while they're up 14 points, they're not going to be going out of their way to make sure that you can't complete that. He had a sick contested catch down the sideline, though, late in the Cambridge Buffalo. I was like, how, how did Hunter Renfro do that? He had a catch like that against New England, too, that was on the goal line and almost got him a second touchdown for that game. He's at least better than you think he'd be just looking at him. Hey, what are you saying about my opinion of Hunter Renfro? I think you're underestimating how much I like him. Sure, that's true. Derek Carr is QB 13 in fantasy right now, and probably most people don't realize it. He's ahead of Matthew Stafford. He's ahead of Jared Goff. He's ahead of Drew Brees. 284 and three against the Saints, 261 and two at the Patriots, with little from Darren Waller in that game. 311 and two against Buffalo last week. Last year, though, Derek Carr threw two picks in each meeting with these Chiefs. And like I said, this year's Chiefs are number one in pass defense DVOA. I would like to not use Derek Carr this week. Yeah, me too. I mean, you think it'd be a, a better spot, but um, you know, really, Carr, if you look at his last three games against the Chiefs, um, it hasn't been really good, just two total touchdowns. In those games, even this year, the Chiefs have allowed just one passing touchdown in all four of those games. That includes matchups with Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. So, you know, Carr, Carr definitely, I think, as we thought he might be this summer, has been better than most people expected in fantasy. But this is not a week I'd want to use him. I'd play him over Carson Wentz, but that's about the next yeah. thing I can say. <laughs> yes, uh, so would I. On the Chiefs' side, use the guys. Sammy Watkins, seven-plus targets in three or four games so far. Four-plus catches in each of those games where he did get seven-plus targets. Fine in wide receiver four range. Nicole Hardman's listed on the injury report with a hamstring, but full practice Wednesday. Okay, I was going to note Hardman. He, he's at least trending up. Um, if you throw out week two and Sammy Watkins left early with injury, um, Hardman's route rates in the other three games have gone 34 45, 53. So he's getting at least close to the territory where you can consider him as a flyer. You know, the floor is still going to be low as like the, you know, fourth or fifth, fifth option in this passing game. But, you know, we've already, already seen him make big plays this season. So uh, I think especially when Bybeek start to hit, he's definitely someone we might be considering. You're obviously starting Clyde Edwards Elaire, but it's a tremendous matchup for him this week. There were, every Raiders opponent has scored a running back rushing touchdown, and the Bills last week were the first one that didn't have two of them. The Raiders are allowing 5.3 yards per carry to running back, so I would not be surprised if we get a smash game from him this week. Yeah, obvious start in season long, and I think he's someone you want in most, if not all, of your DFS lineups this week. Rams at Washington. The Rams are seven and a half point favorites here. 45 and a half over under the Rams offense disappointed us against the Giants. I mean, that's going to happen at times. I'm not particularly scared to go back to anyone at their appropriate levels among the Rams this week. The one guy that I would certainly treat differently this week, though, is Daryl Henderson. Just eight carries last week. It was not an easy win, but it was a game that the Rams led the whole way. Malcolm Brown got nine carries and six targets. Afterward, Sean McVay kind of explained it as a game flow thing. He said it was a physical downhill kind of dirty type running game. We weren't really able to run. Said the team had trouble getting into a rhythm, moving the ball, converting first downs, and that kind of messed with the way that they wanted to split snaps between the the running backs. The the clear thing to us here is that it's no running back's job. It's a committee and it's going to depend some on situation and someone who's the hot hand or running poorly that game. And now we might have Cam Akers back in the mix this week. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Cam Akers is expected back, according to ESPN. So, I, honestly, I have no idea what to make of this backfield. Like, if you, if you made me rank him, I'd still go Henderson, Brown, Akers, but you know, that, that could easily flip. I don't even think the Rams know how the carries are going to be split heading into games. I think it truly is, you know, who, who, who gets the hot hand. Yeah, and so I think this matchup has a better chance than last week's Giants game of at least getting Henderson started well if he carries early in the game. Washington's not been particularly tough on the run so far this year. 88 combined rushing yards to Ravens running backs last week. 154 to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt the week before. 86 yards to Kenyon Drake back in week two, which looks like a better total with each passing week. So not a scary matchup, I think, if you're considering Daryl Henderson probably go with them and then you know we'll keep gauging this backfield yeah I mean the Rams still seven and a half point favorites here um you know they're they're one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL both overall and situation neutral so you know we, we know we want to they want to pound the ball they should be able to in this game so you know there's going to be production in this backfield just I, I won't pretend to know who it's going to come from starting Robert Woods and Cooper Cup pretty much every week there's nothing wrong with the matchup for Tyler Higby but he has a real issue with the number of routes he's running yeah so he's at a 54 percent route rate which is not good on its own you couple that with, again, the Rams being one of the run-heavier offenses in the NFL, and Tyler Higby is 27th among tight ends in total pass routes. He's tied for 24th among tight ends in targets. Um, and you really, outside that big um, week two, um, he's been outside the top 20 tight ends in PPR points in three of his other four games. So he, you know, he's hurt you in three of the four games. He has the upside that he showed in week two. He showed near the end of last season. But you, you got to know there's going to be a lot more down weeks coming for Higby. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff's okay, but he's outside our top 12. I, I don't expect them to need him. That doesn't mean yeah. that the touchdowns won't go his way this week, but it doesn't look like a necessarily boom week for Jared Goff. Washington has allowed the 10th most QB fantasy points, 10 total touchdowns to the position, two apiece each of the past two weeks to Baker Mayfield um, and Lamar Jackson in spite of low passing volume in those games. Do we know if Chase Young is supposed to be back this week? I think that's important. I mean, we know Goff struggles against pressure. If he's back, that would make me a lot more worried about this matchup for Goff. I'm pretty sure he missed practice again Wednesday. Okay, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think Goff, again, is outside our top 12. I, I would start um, Teddy Bridgewater, Justin Herbert, at least over Goff, and I would consider um, Kirk Cousins and Daniel Jones over him too. I'd be fine with Kirk Cousins. I'm definitely not starting Daniel Jones over you gotta get to Daniel Jones here. Let's hurry up. <laughs> we will. Uh, I mean, on the Washington side, it's what you talk about every week. There's Terry McLaurin. You'd like to play nobody else, regardless of who's playing quarterback in that particular week. And then Antonio Gibson, I guess at this point, he's a fringe starter. Yeah, I mean, the, the quarterback change, obviously, from Haskins to Allen. After Haskins had like, what I thought was his, you know, at least his best game since week one and maybe his best game of the season. So that was surprising. Um, I, I think McLaurin has proved that he can produce, regardless of quarterbacks who are starting him. Um, Antonio Gibson coming off his best game of the season. Um, you know, he's, he's at least been Washington's lead ball carrier. Now um, he did see a season high five targets last week, but still ran a pass route on just 28% of the dropbacks. JD McKissick ran out on 60%. So McKissick's still the lead pass catcher here. Yeah. For, for whatever reason. So just keep that in mind with Gibson that, you know, I'm not sure we can bank on him getting, you know, five targets every week. J.D. McKissick must be a hell of a practice player because he has been around a lot longer than his game production would seem to indicate that he should be. He just looks like he'd be a good like change of pace pass catching back. I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it. Anything else from the Washington side? Uh, no. Buffalo at Tennessee, which doesn't even really seem like it's worth talking about. I can't imagine that this game is actually going to be played at this point. Yeah, completely honest, I didn't break down this game because I don't expect it to be played. But, you know, Tennessee having still more positive tests come through on Thursday here. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the names in contention, if they do figure out how to play it, are pretty obvious. But the takeaway here is that if you are relying on any Bills or Titans, you need to make sure that there are insurance options because it's hard to envision this game happening inside of uh, week five. Arizona at the Jets, Cardinals by seven and a half for this game. Over under is 46 and a half. You play everyone on the Cardinals side. It's a potential rebound spot for Kenyon Drake. The Jets can challenge the run game, but they allowed 107 yards and two touchdowns in Melvin Gordon last week. And I don't think that they're likely to keep this game close. Yeah. And Drake had that um, chest injury late in last week's game, but it's not an issue. He was a full go on Wednesday. So he's going to be out there. You know, Cliff Kingsbury had a quote on Monday that, you know, basically saying they have to get Kenyon Drake going. So I guess that's, that's more encouraging than him saying, you know, we, we might want to get Chase Edmonds more work going forward. Um, the rushing volume has at least been there for Drake. He's seventh in the NFL with 67 carries. He only has five targets. That's been the major issue. He, he's run more pass routes than you know, you'd expect someone with five targets. So I think there's a chance he gets more um, work in the passing game going forward. I'm not expecting Drake to, you know, be the RB1 we thought he was going to be this season. I do still think, though, you know, just on the rushing volume alone, as long as that stays, he's like a weekly RB2. Yeah, I think the coach saying he's a tremendous player, we need to figure out how to get him going, is what you're hoping to see at this point, if you do own Kenyon Drake, because, uh, you know, otherwise the coach could very well say, I'm not sure what the issue is, or he's leaving some yards out there on the field, we're going to get that cleaned up. The coach is saying we need to figure out how to get him going. So, you know, we'll see if that works. Again, you kind of adjust the expectation downward, but it's not like the team is ready to move on from him. Christian Kirk, I think, is also in play this week. Five targets in his return from injury last week. He had a design touchdown catch from three yards out. He actually had another end zone target as well on a play that was wiped out by defensive pass interference. So I I still don't know what to make of Christian Kirk long-term, but I think if you need a wide receiver this week, he carries extra upside because they're facing the Jets. Yeah, I was going to say the matchup puts him in play here. Um, You know, He was at least back to like being the clear number three guy on the Cardinals, at least as far as routes run. Um, he, you know, he was behind Hopkins and, and Fitzgerald, but 76% of the routes for Christian Kirk. And, and this matchup, um, you know, the Jets' outside corners have struggled all season. So if there's a time for Kirk, it's definitely this week. And it's time for the Cardinals to just realize that Larry Fitzgerald's had a nice career. They don't have to let him stay on the field until he literally falls apart or disintegrates. It's time to take him out. Andy Isabella is not usable at this point. But it's worth noting that his playing time stayed up last week, even with Christian Kirk back. He got a carry on the team's first series. He got a deep target on the second series where Kyler Murray overthrew him. So they're using him. I think Andy Isabella is stashable in case at some point they decide to wheel Larry Fitzgerald off the field. Yeah, I would definitely look to stash Isabella. If he's available in your league, I'd grab him now. I I, I think he's the second best wide receiver in Arizona. You know, We'll see if his usage ever matches that. Mm-hmm. On the Jets side, they decided that the season's not crappy enough. They're going to go ahead and start Joe Flacco at quarterback. Uh, it's Jamison Crowder and absolutely nothing else unless I need Le'Veon Bell in my lineup. Yeah, even Crowder worries me. Like I'm still starting him, but I, you know, he had such a good rapport with Sam Darnold. You know, Darnold just looked his way so often. I mean, 23 targets for Crowder in his two games this season. We'll, we'll see. I mean, he should still easily be the top option in this passing game. But um, you know, Joe Flacco's um, insertion uh, adds some risk to Crowder. Yeah, I mean, who's he going to throw to otherwise? Right. Though Chris Hogan, who is perpetually covered. Maybe. maybe he'll throw at Chris Herndon's butt while he's blocking. I just there just aren't other options. Yeah, agreed. I can't wait for the Joe Flacco, Ryan Griffin touchdown this week, though. It's coming. Oh, man. Please tell me there's nothing else from that game. Did we mention Le'Veon Bell? I mean, he has a chance to come back, and I think if he does, like he's like a volume-based RB3. Yeah. 
He's like even shorter range Jamison Crowder. All right. Jacksonville at Houston. The Texans are six and a half point favorites, apparently. Over under of 54. I guess Vegas thinks that Bill O'Brien was the <laughs> only thing holding back these Texans. So maybe, maybe Houston is just like the munchkins when the Wicked Witch gets a house landed on her this week and they're just celebrating and the Lollipop Guild brings us a whole bunch of yardage points. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is like a breakout spot for the Texans offense with O'Brien gone now. I, I also I also like the Jags plus six and a half. I think there's going to be lots of points on both sides here. Um, both these defenses are like bottom eight in DVOA. Um, the Jags offense is sixth in football outsiders offensive DVOA. So um, I, again, I think uh, you know both sides of this game should have some points. Yeah, Gardner Minshew rebounded from the clunker against Miami, got DJ Chark back last week, 351 yards, two touchdown passes against Cincinnati. He's QB9 in total fantasy points through four games, and he's been over 22.5 fantasy points in three of those four games. Houston looks like a negative scoring matchup by fantasy quarterback numbers if you look at the total numbers, but... The Texans haven't actually stopped anybody. They've allowed seven touchdown passes, no picks. They're allowing the second highest passer rating in the league through four weeks. Yeah, 71% completion rate, eight yards per attempt allowed for the Texans defense. And yeah, Gardner Minshew with DJ Chark, his weekly finishes have been quarterback 15, quarterback seven, and quarterback 10. It was just that game against Miami that he didn't have Chark that he disappointed. So I think Minshew, um, I guess we should have been talking about him with all those other spot start options. I think Minshew is still available in a lot of leagues, isn't he, or no? I don't even know. I mean, it, it probably depends quite a bit, but he shouldn't be. And I think yeah. he's easily ahead of those guys we were talking about before. Yep, I agree. He's a top option. Uh, James Robinson is RB6 in PPR right now. Sixth among running backs in total yards per game as well. So it's not like he's just inflated by some touchdown fortune. Four plus targets in three straight games. I think that James Robinson is a dynasty sell, but I think in redraft, you hang on to him and you keep playing him because he's controlling the backfield work. And as we said, this offense is rolling pretty well right now. You know, I, I was considering making Robinson a sell in our second buy-sell hold, hold report that came out this week, but um, last week kind of changed my mind because the Jags were trailing for pretty much the entire second half of that game against the Bengals. Robinson still played a season-high 76% of the offensive snaps, handled all 21 running back opportunities, seven carries and four targets. So, you know, even in negative game script, we didn't see a whole lot of Chris Thompson. And if that continues, you know, that, that makes Robinson obviously a much safer weekly bet. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play a Jaguars wide receiver beyond DJ Chark. LaVisca Chenault has not topped six targets in a game yet this year. Yeah, Chenault's on the borderline. I, I just love the guy. Um, you know, I did that fantasy vision game this week, so I watched it back. He looked awesome after the catch. You know, same thing we saw in college. I mean, the volume hasn't been huge, like you said. He does have six targets and two straight now. He has at least one carry in all four games, uh, nine carries total, so that helps a bit. He's Again, I think he's on like the wide receiver three borderline. The, the floor is still pretty low, but again, I kind of like the ceiling just because I think this game is going to shoot out. I can certainly see that, but uh, last week was the first time he got above 37 yards this season. We'll see. You and Fantasy Twitter are certainly in love with LaVisca Chenault. We'll see what happens. He's a fun guy. On the Houston side, you know, Bill O'Brien's gone. We'll see exactly what that means. I, I'm not going to significantly alter my immediate expectations. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that he was a very good coach, but I kind of have trouble believing that he was the thing between what they were doing and like 370 passing yards this week. Deshaun Watson, David Johnson, Will Fuller, all starting fairly easily though. And I, I would go back to Brandon Cooks, probably more in wide receiver four range after the way he treated us last week. I can't go back to Brandon Cooks because he cost me too much money in DFS last week. But I mean, the usage was there. He's on the field for 94% of the snaps, 93% of the dropbacks. But you know, Cooks had the nice game 
the game Fuller was uh, limited by the hamstring. In the other three games, Cooks has gone two catches, 20 yards, three catches, 23 yards, and then last week's goose egg. So and he's been on the field, but he really hasn't produced when Fuller's been healthy. So I don't know. Again, I think this game's going to shoot out. So Cooks has upside, but I would rather not use him and, you know, make us make him show us something besides being on the field before using him in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I'd have him in wide receiver four range only. So maybe going back to him is too strong a word, but uh, the, I think the problem here is that the Texans spread their targets around too evenly. I mean, Cooks is one behind Will Fuller for the team lead for targets on the season, but there are six players from 13 targets to 22 targets for the season. So, you know, it's not like Brandon Cooks is the number two receiver. He probably will wind up that way, but it's not as clear a number two spot as there are for some other offenses. Yeah. Um, the Jags are dealing with some, I think, key injuries we should talk about on defense. DJ Hayden was placed on IR. He's their slot corner. So, you know, that's an upgrade for Randall Cobb. Um, and then CJ Henderson, their, you know, like top corner, I guess, the rookie, but I think he's been their top corner. And then Miles Jack are both, um, iffy for this game so again that that just boosts um, the outlook for this Texans offense yeah and what have we heard on Jordan Aikens is there a chance that he's coming back or is it gonna be Darren Fells uh, Aikens didn't practice on Wednesday uh, with a concussion he's also on the injury report with an ankle I don't know how serious that is but um, matchup's good I mean I don't know Darren Fells doesn't excite me as much as Aikens does but um, Jacksonville is 29th in football outsiders tight end coverage so uh, if Aikens is out I think Fells is like a desperation option mm-hmm. anybody else from that game um, I just wanted to mention David Johnson, who, you know, with Duke Johnson back last week, David's usage took a, a pretty decent size step back. Um, just a 55% snap rate for David Johnson. When he ran a pass route on 36% of Deshaun Watson's dropbacks. Um, so he lost a lot of passing game work to Duke Johnson, which I think is a concern going forward. You're still, you're still starting him here as like an RB2 with upside in the matchup. But um, if he has a big game, maybe you consider selling David Johnson after this week. I think that's one area where the coaching change could very much matter because the coach that just got deposed was the coach who made the trade for David Johnson. So it's quite possible that now that Bill O'Brien's gone, the Texans coaches are like, listen, guys, uh, Duke Johnson is not much worse than David Johnson. He might even be better than David Johnson. I think that we should probably alter how we're handing things out in this backfield. Yeah, that's a good call. I would not be surprised at all if we, if we see that. Mm. Miami at San Francisco, the Niners are nine point home favorites here over under 49. Ryan Fitzpatrick wound up paying off last week, kind of backing into it. 315 passing yards and a rushing touchdown. QB eight in total fantasy points over the past three weeks. But 49ers are allowing just 195 passing yards per game so far. Only five total quarterback touchdowns through four games. Yeah, Fitzpatrick's really done it with his legs. He's top six among all quarterbacks in rushing attempts, yards, and touchdowns. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to use him this week on the road. You know, Miami has the 19.5 point implied total. Uh, Fitzpatrick is down there with Carson Wentz for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Devontae Parker, really, for me on the Miami side. I mean, Mike Jasicki versus Zach Ertz would be a tough call. <laughs> Mike Jasicki had the big game against Buffalo, has done basically nothing beyond that. And I'm playing Eric Ebron over both of those guys. Yeah, definitely Ebron over Gasecki. I'd lean towards Ertz over Gasecki, especially in PPR. Um, you know, back-to-back, one-catch, three-target games for Gasecki. I know Shane Gailey mentioned this week that teams are starting to, you know, shade coverage Gasecki's way. Maybe that starts to flip, you know, more towards Devontae Parker now after his big game last week. You know, Gasecki's still been on the field. He's still been running pass routes. The concern this week, too, is the matchup. Uh, Football Outsiders has the Niners first in tight end coverage. 
Yeah, Fred Warner is strong there, so it's certainly not a good spot for him. But that said, he's also not a classic tight end, as we've mentioned before. So maybe he faces more of the slot corner. And the Niners have had plenty of injuries in that area. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Jusecki has an okay game here, but certainly not somebody I'm targeting. Yeah, that's fair. On the 49ers side, Jimmy Garoppolo returned to a limited practice Wednesday. A return by him would be good for the offense. I think Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard have both shown us in the past that they can flash. But Garoppolo would be good for this offense actually sustaining production. Yeah, I would even consider using Garoppolo like in deeper leagues if you know these other streamers we've talked about aren't available because you know the, the matchups great against Miami, 28th in Football Outsiders past defense, allowing 9.3 yards per attempt. And, and Garoppolo, for the first time this season, will have George Kittle and Debo Samuel on the field for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Debo returned last week, played just a third of the snaps. I think that's that should grow going forward. I think I would be willing to play him and Brandon Ayuk, you know, at appropriate levels this week. Probably both of them over Brandon Cooks, honestly. Um, yeah, I still prefer Ayuk. Just I guess I'd want to see Debo get back to a full, you know, slate of snaps before fully trusting him. I think there's definitely upside. You know, even last week he got you know four touches on the limited snaps. I do expect him to play more. This uh, this week, Ayuk though continues to be a full time player. Ran her out on ninety four percent of the dropbacks. Has a rushing touchdown in two straight games now. Uh, three carries and then one carry in those two games. So I think the Niners will continue to use him there. And spent two and a half minutes hanging in midair to get into the end zone. Very impressive. <laughs> Raheem Mostert returned to a limited practice Wednesday as well. Missed mo- missed all of last week with his knee sprain. We'll see if he's ready re- to return. We'll have to watch him this week. I think Jarek McKinnon's in play, even if Mostert returns. If Mostert's back, though, Jeff Wilson's back to the bench. Yeah, how about McKinnon getting, like, massive workhorse usage last week? I, I didn't think we'd ever see that again from him, but he played 92% of the snaps, 14 carries, um, eight targets. So McKinnon is, like, a borderline RB1 if Mostert remains out. If Mostert's back, you know, it's going to be a committee. I would expect Mostert to uh, lead the way in carries, but McKinnon to continue to do most of the pass-catching stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else that you want to discuss from that game? Nope. You benching George Kittle, right? Yeah, definitely. You got, can't use that guy. Giants at Dallas. Cowboys by nine and a half, over under a 54. And even with the Dallas defense playing like it is, I need to actually see something from Daniel Jones in this offense before I'm considering him anywhere outside of DFS. All right. So, I mean, we all talked about the Giants' brutal schedule to start the season. And you know, that's definitely come to fruition. They faced um, Pittsburgh, Chicago, San Francisco, and the Rams. Those teams are 8th, 5th, 6th, and 7th in Football Outsiders' pass defense, DVOA. Now the Cowboys are 25th, um, so easily the best matchup of the season for Daniel Jones. He obviously hasn't been great. He's also 18th in PFF passing grade among 29 qualifiers, so he's been like you know middling there. So I, Again, I don't think he's played as poorly as the numbers suggest. I think it's been more the matchups. He's also given us the rushing, um, 20 plus rushing yards in all four games this season, 137 total rushing yards ranks fourth among all quarterbacks. So he's definitely not safe. Um, but you know, we, we saw the upside he has last season and if it's going to happen this year, this is definitely a good spot for it. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's why I won't try to argue him down the rankings harder than I have to this point. I would, I'm glad that I don't have to decide whether to put him in my own lineups though, because I certainly couldn't feel good about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess this comes on a week where, again, there are so many good streaming options where, you know, you're not forced to turn to Jones if you're looking for a spot starter. I'm going to be very curious to see what the ownership projections for Jones are in DFS because I think it's a a spot and his salary is going to be down where he could be very popular there. I kind of hope that he's really popular so I don't have to decide whether to play him in any lineups. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to get um, a piece of him in tournaments. I'm going to try not to go to him in cash, but you know, I, I honestly haven't uh, looked at uh, DraftKings too much after this week. Yeah, I haven't either. Darius Slayton, I think, is the most interesting giant on his own. Just three catches in three straight games, but six-plus targets in every game, seven-plus in three of his four games. Cowboys secondary stinks. I mean, that's why Daniel Jones and anybody here is an option at all. So I think Darius Slayton at least makes for a solid option. Certainly downside risk, but a, a solid, um, solid option with plenty of upside. Yeah, not the safest guy, but the ceiling would make me want to get him in fantasy lineups just because, like, a wide receiver three or a flex. You know, again, again, Slayton has been quiet since week one, but the matchups have been tough. Um, he is 16th among wide receivers and targets. He's 15th among wide receivers and air yards. So the usage has been there, and now, you know, he finally gets a, a, a doable matchup. Mm-hmm. Definitely capable of a big game here, and he already had one this year against Pittsburgh, so we don't have to project it as much. Yep. Golden Tate's solid for PPR. I'm really not sure what his ceiling looks like yet, though. 7.4 yards per catch through his three games this year. He's basically Greg Ward with a better pedigree. His ADA is like under five yards, which is like incredible. So, um, again, I think more upside this week. And he does have five, five, and four catches in his three games. So, you know, he's been a decent PPR option for floor. Um, Not exciting, but um, I don't think he's going to kill you this week in this matchup. Yeah, I, I would probably play Golden Tate over Brandon Cooks because of the opportunity upside here. I would too. Um, not to say Tate has more upside than Cooks, but I think it's closer this week just because of the matchup. And I, th- I think there's a better chance that we get like eight to ten Golden Tate targets than yeah. we get, you know, a, a, an efficient day from Brandon Cooks necessarily. Definitely, yep. I'm playing Evan Ingram pretty easily. He's one target ahead of Darius Slayton for the team lead for the season, despite some extra blocking duties. And last week against the Rams, there there were absolutely no pass blocking reps for Evan Ingram. The Rams are not strong in edge rush this year. Dallas is also not strong in that area. Pro Football Focus grades Dallas eighth worst in the league in pass rushing as a team. And their pass rushing leaders are going to be their defensive ends. So I think that Evan Ingram should be running plenty of routes this week. I think at most maybe he chips defensive ends on the way out. I think there should be opportunities for him. It's just been short stuff in terms of depth of target so far, four and a half yards. That's only down a little bit from the past two years, though, so I'm not overly concerned about that aspect. Yeah, freaking Jason Garrett is treating Evan Ingram like Jason Witten with that uh, ADOT, and that's that's got to change, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, the usage has been there for Ingram, um, third among – all tight ends and targets second among all tight ends and pass routes. So I think another guy who's just um, struggled with the mashup so far, I I think, you know, he he could have a breakout spot this week. Yeah. On the Cowboys side, you're playing everything. I've had multiple people this week ask about trading for a tight end, such as Johnny Smith, when Dalton Schultz is available, either like on the roster or on the waiver wire. The answer is no, just go ahead and use Dalton Schultz. This is what Blake Jarwin was supposed to be doing this year. Schultz is sixth among tight ends and PPR points. He is fifth in targets. He is a weekly starter playing in an offense that's on pace to break the NFL record for passing yards. Yeah, third in targets over the last three weeks when, you know, he's taken over as the lead tight end. That is a good point you mentioned about Dallas's past attempts. Like, I think all of these guys receiving production has been inflated so far just because Dallas has you know been trailing basically every second they've been playing so far this season. So the, the pass volume and production in general is coming down, you know, maybe you cut off like 20% of all these guys numbers so far. And that's kind of what you can expect going forward. But that said, again, you know, Schultz is, is third among tight ends and targets. Maybe he drops to like eighth or 10th the rest of the way, but he, I think he's definitely like a weekly fantasy starter in this offense going forward. Yeah. I mean, is he going to deliver every single week? No, but nobody is besides like last year, Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey. Exactly. Anything else from that game? Nope. 
Denver at New England, Patriots by 11. Uh, we're still kind of waiting, I think, to see here with New England's COVID stuff. Um, Vegas is, hasn't even given the game an over-under, so we'll see where this goes, if anywhere. But on the Denver side, I'd really like to use nothing if I can. The past two weeks have found the Patriots limit. Darren Waller in their matchup with the Raiders, and then basically all of the Chiefs last week. The guys on TV kept expecting the Chiefs to finally <laughs> – start pouring it on and giving the points and they just never did. The Patriots limited everything the chiefs did. Even the two touchdown passes from Patrick Mahomes were both flips just ahead of him. So it's hard for me to imagine the Patriots having trouble with Melvin Gordon this week. And he's basically the only recognizable name in Denver at this point. Yeah. I mean, still a good Patriots defense. Um, Lots of injuries in Denver here. We don't know about Drew Locke. I mean, I think if he is back, it would help. Um, KJ Hamler is out for Denver. Noah Fant is very unlikely to play for Denver. So it's Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy in the passing game. Patrick obviously coming off the big game against the Jets. Stephon Gilmore, you know, one of the Patriots that did test positive for COVID. So he, he's out of this game. That helps Patrick's matchup. Still think he's, you know, a fringe guy you'd rather not use. Um, Jerry, Jerry Judy, even though Patrick got produced him last week, would still be my favorite. Broncos wide receiver. I think he's like a decent wide receiver three option. He does have the best matchup in the slot against Jonathan Jones. Um, Jones has allowed 202 yards and two touchdowns through the first four games here. So, you know, Judy, I think is in play as a wide receiver three, but again, especially if Locke is out, um, the, the floor on him is low. I'd put Judy more in wide receiver four range. I mean, Jones was better last year than he's been so far this year. So we'll see, but I, I, I think this is a, a chance that Denver gets shut out in this game. I mean, did you see that Judy touchdown catch on Thursday night, though? Oh, yeah. Judy's terrific. I'm yeah. just saying he's in a bad spot. Yep, that's fair. On the other side, I mean, I guess we got to go with Damian Harris this week at the appropriate level, of course. He took 17 of 31 running back carries for the Patriots against the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to say than that. He, he gave us 100 yards. It was a good outing. Uh, we'll see what he has going forward. But Sony Michelle's still out. Yeah, I mean, he, he literally just stepped into the Michelle role. Um 17 carries despite only playing 30% of the snaps. He, he, I think he ran like three pass routes total, obviously didn't get a target. So, you know, he's, he's, he sh- it looks like he's going to get the carries, um, but don't expect him to do anything in the passing game. Um, Rex Burkhead was second in line for carries last week with 11. He lost basically all the passing work though, to James White. Um, Burkhead r- ran her out on just 26% of the dropback, saw only one target. So um, that kind of makes Burkhead tough to like too. And then James White is going to continue to do the pass catching stuff, but in a game, where New England you know, should be playing with a lead. Uh, I don't think White will be needed as much as he was last week. Yeah. I mean, I think all three guys are in play to some degree in, in a landscape where people were bidding on Dearness Johnson this <laughs> week. So if you need a Patriots running back, they're all in play, but they all cannibalize each other's upside a bit. And yeah. wide receiver Julian Edelman, I think, gained some risk because he's playing less when the team is succeeding with the run. And I think they'll be looking to lean run this week. There's still no Cam Newton. And it's a game that they should control. So we could see less Julian Edelman on the field for this game and fewer targets, which he's a volume driven fantasy play. And he's been iffy outside of that week two game at Seattle. Yeah, that was a shootout, obviously, um, which we're we're not expecting with Denver and New England here. Uh, We we don't even know who's starting for New England yet, do we? Whether it's Jarrett Stidham or Brian Hoyer. Not not that it matters much. You're not using either of those guys. I don't think one is better than the other for these pass catchers. So, yeah, I mean, I think Edelman's a guy I would try to bench if possible. Uh, Nikhil Harry has seen decent volume. He's not doing much with it. I wouldn't want to use him. Demir Bird has actually led the Patriots in pass routes in all four games. He led them in targets last week with 10. Um, Also had a nine-target game back in week two, but um, I don't think you want to use Demir Bird either. 
Yeah, I would try not to use any of them. I mean, among them, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if Demir Bird is the best option if he's running the most routes. He's going to be on the field even if they're running successfully. So I would prefer to use none of them, though. Yeah, agreed. And that that's it for that game, right? Definitely. Indy at Cleveland, the Colts by two and a half here, 47 point over under. Really, on the Colts side, nobody's really in play besides the defense and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, T.Y. Hilton has seen 13 total targets in their three wins over the past three weeks. Maybe that picks up if they fall behind against a 3-1 and Cleveland team. But T.Y. Hilton's best outing so far has been four catches for 53 yards on nine targets against a Jacksonville defense that has since proved it's not very good against the pass. Yeah, I mean, Hilton not seeing good volume. He's not producing well when he does get the ball, just 59% catch rate and 12.5 yards per catch. You know, there's very little downfield in this, in this passing game. So um, I think T.Y. someone you want to bench if possible. Um, we can't use the tight ends, unfortunately, because they're using all three of them now with Trey Burton back. Burton actually led the way in pass routes and targets last week. So, you know, despite Mo Alley-Cox scoring now in, what, two or three straight games, um, I don't think he's someone we can trust. And then Jonathan Taylor, I mean, you're, you're still starting him. His usage has been disappointing. Um, his snap rates over the last two weeks have been less than 50%. Um, his route rates have gone down every week. It was uh, uh, just 36%. Last week has seen just uh, two targets over the past two games now. So um, again, you're still starting him, but like I'm no I'm no longer expecting Taylor to get you know 20 plus opportunities a game. Yeah, he's kind of looking like Sony Michelle right now. He is sadly. And we got a very Trey Burtony line of two catches for 16 yards and five targets last week. Yeah, he had he had one drop. He had one drop. I think Rivers had a couple of bad throws to him too. It's just it's Philip Rivers is just cooked, and I think that's. That's part of the problem with all these Colts pass catchers. Yeah, speaking of which, let me put this to you. In uh, in our Dynasty League, I was offered – in our uh, Sirius XM Dynasty League, I was offered T.Y. Hilton for Tyler Johnson. I saw I saw you tweet that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't I, – I can't find myself wanting to complete that deal because I'm not hard up, and hard up enough at wide receiver that T.Y. Hilton really helps me that much right now. And if next year Tyler Johnson is – doing something that's going to make it's going to bother me yeah i mean especially if you don't need t by this year and even if you did need a wide receiver again i'm not sure if t by is going to help you so i would i would rather just it sounds crazy but i'd rather just hang on to johnson and see what he becomes you know we'll see what he does tonight he's going to get a shot with justin watson up it'd be different if it was some random third day rookie wide receiver that right. i didn't really care that much about but i really thought that tyler johnson was underdrafted so i i'm I'm probably going to hang on to him, even though I put it out there and people are like, why? It's T.Y. Hilton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, in a vacuum, it seems weird. But if you start to think about it, um, I just think Johnson has more of a chance to help you at some point. So if T.Y. Hilton blows up this week, then you're welcome. <laughs> buddy. Right. Um, on the Cleveland side, Kareem Hunt's an RB1 as long as his body cooperates. He did at least put in a limited practice Wednesday with his groin injury. So, you know, we'll watch that through the week. But, uh, of course, if Kareem Hunt is limited, maybe we'll get another huge Dearness Johnson performance. I really hope we get a full practice from Hunt um, one of these next two days because he, he played a season low 35% of the snaps last week. Um, didn't see a single target, just 11 carries. It was sort of strange usage. And, I'm sure it was partly because of the groin, partly because the Browns had a, a pretty big lead in that one. Um, I, you know, in season long, you're starting him. I think it's more of a DFS thing, whether we think he's going to get a full workload or not. Um, interesting matchup here, too. You know, the Colts have been so good on defense. Um, fifth in football outsiders run defense. Second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. But two of their linebackers are iffy for this game, which would, you know, be a big boost to Hunt's matchup. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Odell Beckham, obviously you're starting after last week, even though the matchup's not awesome against the Colts. I would rather avoid Jarvis Landry. No more than six targets in any game, averaging just 4.8 targets per game through four weeks, five, three, four, and five catches. He's cracked 50 receiving yards once and has yet to have a game of more than 61 yards. The guy can throw the ball, though, and he's a lefty. So, I mean, if, you, if you're banking on another passing touchdown, maybe you can start Landry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else from that game? Uh, no, David Njoku on track to return, which you know, I think makes Austin Hooper even easier to avoid. Yeah, complicates that already messy tight end situation. Before we get to the Sunday night game, uh, let me hit a couple questions from the chat. Um, on From Reed Faldi on YouTube, he's got, he asked James Robinson or Antonio Gibson this week. It's pretty easily James Robinson for me. Yep, Robinson. Allen Robinson from the same person or Justin Jefferson? Got to go A-Rab. I would be shocked yeah. if Robin, if uh, Jefferson outscores him, but I, you can't. I don't think you can venture it, Rob. That's the thing too. I can see Justin Jefferson outscoring him. It's a shootout that we're about to get to in Seattle. But I mean, Allen Robinson, as long as they give him the ball as much as they should, he should be in fine shape. It's not a scary matchup for him. And then one more. There was uh, not even average on YouTube says want some advice on who to start PPR. Who should I start of the three? Tyler Boyd, Robert Woods, Calvin Ridley, Justin Jefferson. So we need to sit one of those guys. Oh, we're sitting one of those guys, huh? Wow, that's – I mean, they're they're all good options. I would – I might sit Tyler Boyd, honestly. Yeah, I think that would be my sit among the four as well. The The matchups are just too much too much better for the other three than they are for Tyler Boyd this week. Yep, agreed. I th- I'd say he's a safer option than Calvin Ridley, but I'm, I can't sit Calvin Ridley for Tyler Boyd. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what we hear about Ridley um, the rest of the week. I mean, I think Boyd, Boyd's probably even safer than Justin Jefferson, but Jefferson just has such a high ceiling in this matchup. Yes, and this matchup is the Sunday night game. Minnesota at Seattle. Seahawks by six and a half points at home. The over-under is 57 and a half, highest of the week. The shootout makes Kirk Cousins a viable starter. Only the Falcons are allowing more quarterback points per game than Seattle to this point. And that's even with the Seahawks grabbing six interceptions already. The Seahawks have faced the league's most pass attempts. Three quarterbacks have thrown for 397 yards or 397 yards or more against the Seahawks already. Ryan Fitzpatrick's 315 last week is the low point in opposing quarterbacks so far. And Jamal Adams still out for Seattle, so that helps Cousins match up. I mean, you know, Cousins, overall, he's been pretty good this season. He's averaging 8.8 yards per pass attempt. That's a huge number. Uh, PFF has him 10th in their passing grades among 29 qualifiers. He just, you know, hasn't had the pass volume, and we expect the pass volume to be up in this game. And as you said, 250 yards in three of four games for Kirk Cousins, yet to top 27 attempts. So he, there, it's, he hasn't fed on volume yet, on uh, low volume he's been producing. And there's probably going to be a lot more volume in this game, similar to what Cam Newton did in week two against Seattle. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, both coming off 100-yard games. It's two straight for Jefferson. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets a third straight here. Nope, me either. Um, you know, he's he look he looks good. He uh, PFF has him as their top graded wide receiver right now, Justin Jefferson. Um, so he he looks good. He, he's on the field. You know, ninety one and eighty one percent of their outs in the last two weeks. So I think no reason not to use him in this matchup. Dalvin Cook obvious, and I think that's it on the Minnesota side. Tight ends can't aren't usable at this point. Yep. On the Seattle side, it's everybody who's viable. And for me, that includes Greg Olson. Four-plus catches in three of four games, a 77.8% catch rate so far. The Vikings are allowing 75% completions to tight ends to this point. They rank just 18th in Football Outsiders' tight end coverage DVOA. So for me, Greg Olson is right at the tight end one fringe ahead of uh, Zach Ertz and Mike Jacecki. 
Yeah, I agree. Just because he's a tight end playing with Russell Wilson, like, you know, he mm-hmm. doesn't look great. I think he's, you know, third, fourth, fifth in line for targets, but you know, he's been on the field a pretty decent amount. And you know, again, he's a, he's a good touchdown bat playing in this offense. Yeah. He's gotten more volume to this point than I would have guessed because Seattle is throwing the ball more than we would have guessed. Right. Yep. Anything else on that side worth discussing? Nope. On to Monday night to round things out. The Chargers at New Orleans. Saints by seven and a half in this game. Over under a 50. Apparently the Vegas odds makers have not been watching Justin Herbert so far. Yeah, I mean, we, we said the guy's been awesome. Um, 72% completion rate, 8.7 yards per attempt in his three starts. Those are both top seven marks in the league. Um, his fantasy finishes have gone 13th, 17th, and then 7th. And two of those came against top four defenses in past defense DVOA. So he's done it in tougher matchups. Now, Saints are 11th in football outsiders past D. They're 19th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So a middling matchup, but if Herbert keeps playing like he is, again, I think he's a solid uh, week five spot starter. Yeah, I mean, we just bumped Gardner Minshew ahead of him earlier today. I think Justin Herbert's like 13th in our rankings, but really if you're deciding between Justin Herbert and anybody that's close to him in the rankings – I don't have an argument against using Justin Herbert. I I think you can make your gut call between those guys because none of us really knows what Justin Herbert has ahead. You know, whether we've seen three of his best games so far and he's going to tail off a little bit, or, you know, it's just the start of what's going to be a terrific rookie season. The Saints are not stopping quarterbacks so far that we know each quarterback that has faced the Saints to this point has accounted for three total touchdowns. So you know, again, put that with Herbert throwing for 290 plus yards in each of his three games and doing that without Mike Williams and also losing Austin Eckler early at Tampa Bay. I mean, I'm certainly not betting against him. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point about Eckler. I think that does hurt Herbert a bit, you know, because we know how good Eckler is in the passing game. But also, like you said, you know, if Mike Williams can return this week, that'd be big because, you know, it's been Jalen Guyton and then some who was a dude who caught the touchdown last week. I don't I've never heard of him before. And, you know, he was out there for the Chargers. So I forget now, honestly, Ty, Tyron Johnson or something like there that. There you go. Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, good spots, solid plays. I would like to not play either running back for the Chargers here. It's still a negative rushing matchup. Fourth toughest by Football Outsiders DVOA. You certainly can play Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson as the need calls for, though. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think they're both RB threes this week. Um, again, not a great spot on the road, underdogs, tough matchup, but I think they're both going to get decent volume. Um, it was it was kind of like a two to one split in favor of Kelly last week. Fifty seven percent of the snaps for Kelly to forty for Justin Jackson. Nine carries and three targets for Kelly versus six carries, two targets for Jackson. That's sort of what I would expect this week, 60-40 in favor of uh, Joshua Kelly. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if it changes at all. Justin Jackson started the year hurt, so didn't play a whole lot. So, you know, we'll see. I think it's developing, but I wouldn't be surprised if it stays something along those lines too. Drew Brees has not flashed the old Drew Brees ceiling, but he's not killing you either. Two-plus touchdowns in three or four games so far, 312 yards passing in the other game. The question this week is whether Michael Thomas will be back. You know, we'll see ultimately if he is ready to play. I think if Michael Thomas is out again, then Drew Brees probably falls out of my top 12. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the numbers and you look at Brees' numbers and they look pretty solid. But, you know, offense and passing is just so up this season that Brees' weekly finishes are 24th, 20th, 9th, and 20th. So, you know, he's he's been 20th or worse or worse in three of his four games now. You know, we, we like Brees at home. Matchup's fine. If Thomas is back, I think he's okay to stick with him. I, I prefer a lot of these streamers over Drew Brees, though, this week. I, in looking at our QB rankings heading into the show, I was thinking we might be we might knock Drew Brees down uh, yeah. before the Thursday game start. 
Yeah, I mean, if Tom, if Thomas is out, I think he needs to move down, which I know, mm-hmm. maybe we're not going to know by tonight. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't start either of the Thursday night quarterbacks over yeah. Drew Brees, so I don't think that one ultimately matters. But I think Drew Brees is probably going to fall a few spots down our week five rankings. Yeah, it makes sense. Traquan Smith, I think, is attractive in wide receiver four range either way. Um, I would not play – I would have a tough decision between him and like Brandon, Brandon Ayuk, but I would play Traquan Smith over Brandon Cooks. Um, yeah, Smith over Cooks, regardless of Thomas's. I mean, t- Michael Thomas's status obviously matters a lot because he's going to soak up so much of the targets if he is back. Um, you know, Traquan saw just one target in week one when Thomas was out there. He was on the field in that game, you know, 74% route rate for him, and he's played well. So um, I think he's going to, you know, remain a pretty decent sized part of this offense. But again, if Thomas is back, you know, there goes, you know, 27, 28% of the targets to him. Yeah. There's also a chance that Michael Thomas opens up coverage for Traquan Smith and lets him get down the field a little bit more, too, if, if yeah. Drew Brees is capable of throwing that deep. <laughs> right. Anything else to hit in this game? Uh, I hate Adam Troutman. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that's a good place to stop because I think that's the way most DFS players feel at this point. I didn't play him at all last week, but right. I can certainly understand the feeling. That's going to do it for this week five edition of the podcast. Head over to draftsharks.com now to check out our full week five rankings, as well as our second buy sell hold report of the season. Combine those with our rest of the way rankings to find some moves that could help set you up for a championship run this season. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. That's S C H A U F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shout saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 